When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Haley Watson, who is looking to revolutionize how we talk about and learn about teen mental health by bringing it to schools and helping educate teenagers themselves around certain topics and helping teenagers and parents of teenagers, teachers, help teenagers not feel so alone in some of the things that they go through. And I just love talking to her and I'm such a fan of her work. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for talking to me on The Family Brain. I was really excited to talk to you because I've been following you on social media, and I just love what you're doing in your work with teenagers. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that, about how you got started working in this area with teens. Yes, great. Well, it's lovely to be here. So nice to meet you. And um, yeah, so my work with teens started when I basically was almost a teenager myself. When I was in um, my undergrad, my first degree was in criminology in Canada at Simon Fraser University. And I volunteered with an organization where I was a mentor to um, sort of a 14-year-old girl. And I just absolutely fell in love with that process of the connection and the healing that can take place when, um, you know, mentors or people, even, even peers connect to teenagers and, you know, find the light in them. And so that kind of started me on that trajectory. And then ever since then, I've been passionate about working with teens. So I've been developing programs, um, for 15 years and that was in Canada in the US, the UK, and Australia. Um, and yeah, my most recent one is a mental health curriculum for schools that I'm running in um, many countries right now and trying to make a global mental health initiative in schools. I love that. I We share a similar passion because I think that um, it's just this lack. I think I, similarly, when I was being trained to be a therapist and work with families and kids, it's fantastic to have therapy, but not everybody is going to get in the door. And so I love 
whatever way we can give kids and families more information, I love when we can do that because it just seems like it's, it shouldn't be a secret. Exactly. And that's the thing. And that's why I developed this program is because I saw, you know, I trained to be a clinical psychologist and I was working with teenagers and I saw the power and also even for myself in my own life, the power that comes when we have the chance to sit down and think about what's going on in our own mind. And it, the way our culture is, the only way we do that is when we go to therapy. And because of the stigma and because of a lot of you know the resources that it takes and all of the things that go along with seeing a psychologist, most teenagers don't. You know, and they say 85% of teenagers that struggle with some sort of mental health um, issue, which, you know, I would say most teenagers do, most of us do, um, but 85% of them don't ever seek treatment. And so it's, it's, these are skills that everybody needs to have. And we live in a world where it's still seen as this kind of shameful private thing. Um, so I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the more I get comfortable, I think as I get older in talking to people I know and people I meet everybody has their moments of struggle. If somebody says, I've never had a moment of struggle, well, their moment of struggle is that they lie. You know? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And really it is. That's the culture we live in, unfortunately, is that there's this illusion that we're meant to have it all together and that people do. And actually it's the opposite. You know, when we can embrace the struggle, that's when we really find our power and that's when we really grow. And so, you know, it's really about teaching young people that the struggle is wonderful. (laughs) You know, the the struggle is what we want to lean into and, and really um, acknowledge our own vulnerability because that's, that's where the power comes from. Right. I was talking to another person who said, um, that, that the struggle and the conflict and the challenges are like basically a part of the recipe. And when you can look at it that way, Mm -hmm. it makes you feel like you're not somehow doing something wrong. It's just, this is the way it goes. And this is part of what makes us human. Absolutely. And I would take that even further to say that it's the struggle that does define us in a sense, because, you know, when things are going well, it's really easy to just tick along and not really pay attention. But when things start to become a struggle, that's when we start digging deep. And that's when we really find out who we want to be and make big changes and, you know, really think things through. And so the struggle is actually, you know, part of our hero's journey in a sense. And so it's a, it's a really important part of being human. The most important part, I would say. Yes. No, it's interesting because we never, when we are faced with struggle, it's not like, oh, yay, I get to learn and grow. You know, it doesn't feel that way. But then after the fact, you can usually look back and say, wow, that was a really special time for me. I've changed in all of these ways. And if I hadn't had that struggle, it wouldn't have happened. But in the moment, no one's inviting struggle in. Exactly, exactly. And that's, I think, the biggest thing when we're talking with teenagers, if we can shift the way they're thinking, and and for all of us, if we can see struggle in that way as an opportunity for growth, everything changes. Because it's not the struggle that's the issue, it's our resistance to it. It's when we start thinking that there's something wrong with us because we're going through struggle or we start wishing everything was different. That's when we start going down a really sort of negative spiral. But the struggle itself is not actually the issue. Again, adults too. I think it's interesting. That's one thing that in talking about teenagers, it reminds me so many of the things I continue to go through. And I think that's part of why it's so critical to teach teenagers these skills, because it's not like you finish being a teenager and then it's over. It's just, this is sort of the beginning of these adult struggles that only grow over time. (laughs) 
that's it. And that's also why I see, you know, the teenagers that do go through things while it's devastating. And I wish that no teenager had to go through something hard, you know, when they're young. At the same time, I see those are the ones that are actually set up the best in their future if they have the right supports and are able to work through it because they learn all of these skills young you know, and that is so valuable. You know, some of the kids that I work with that are, that are really young and they're so wise. Mm. They're so incredibly wise because they've, they've had to dig deep at a young age. And so, you know, the younger that they can learn this, absolutely the better. What has been the response you've gotten? I mean, I'm guessing that there's all different types of responses, but what, what are some of the challenges you face in bringing this information to schools? Because when I hear about this, I'm like, yes, of course. But what is some of the resistance? What are some things that that you have to work in the face of? Yeah, great question. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One is, as a culture, we're, we're really scared of the struggle. Mm. And, and we're, we sort of want to make it go away. <laughs> and so it there can be some resistance. Um, in terms of not wanting to raise these issues in a classroom setting or not wanting to, it's almost like we, we kind of all just want to pretend it's not happening or we want a quick fix or we want um, just something that's going to almost like address the pointy end of it. Like, okay, let's deal with kids that are suicidal, but then let's, you know, all the one, everyone else is fine. Right. And so the program that I've created is really, sort of saying the opposite of saying everybody needs these skills. Let's really open these issues up. Let's talk about bullying. Let's talk about suicidal thoughts. Let's talk about self-harm. Let's talk about all the things that teenagers are exposed to. We, the world we live in now, everyone is exposed to that. We can't help that. And so, but I, but there's a, there is still a sentiment of that, that scares people, you know, and I get that. I totally get that. And it, there's also an element of, of fear around risk of, well, if we open up these discussions, are we going to trigger kids? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, from a school's perspective, I also very much understand that, you know, wanting to make sure that um, they're not causing any issues. And I guess that's the, the bit where, you know, we can't cause these issues to happen in kids. They're, they're there, you know, and so by talking about them, that's not the thing that's going to cause it happening. But I think there's a little bit of confusion in our culture about that still. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a bit of a hesitation and I understand it, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel that we're on at the beginning of a real cultural shift that, you know, five, 10 years down the track, that's not even going to be, you know, we're not going to be talking about that anymore. But I think right now when we're still at that, we're still in the age of awareness. So we're still in the age of, oh my goodness, mental health is a thing, (laughs) you know, it is an issue. And, you know, the next step is going to be, okay, now we know that, what are we going to do about it? But, right. you know, they're still on that precipice a little bit. And I'm, I'm really pushing to move that forward to the, to the real skills building and the real conversation. But I think it'll just take time for people to get comfortable with even the fact that mental health is, is an issue that exists for all of us. Right. Well, and my understanding is that so many teachers want these kinds of resources, but oftentimes they're just not available. You know, they, they see it in their classrooms. They see it because these are the kids they're with. They, that's what's that going on. Exactly. And so they need tools just to feel even more confident, you know, exactly. in, in exactly. how they're approaching things. That's it. And that's one of the big things that I aim to do with the program is really empower teachers because teachers do know so much more than, than they think they do about mental health because, I mean, they're working with teenagers every day. And so the, the whole program is, is really designed to allow 
teachers to find a way to communicate about these things that they might not have had formal training in or psychology training, but to know that they don't need that. Really, it's just about the empathy and the connection and providing resources so that they don't have to go and create them themselves. They don't have to come up with the content. It's there for them. And it just creates that platform so they can have those engaged conversations with their students as well. That's great. Yeah, my son um, goes to a great school, but they were doing something for suicide prevention week. And it was like, wear blue socks today. Like what? I don't. And, and I, perhaps I'm just going to put this disclaimer out there. Perhaps he just did not communicate to me all the things they did do. That's the part I saw, you know what I mean? So I think that we can do better too of connecting school to home and the the messages we all want to be having with the kids around, you know, mental health. Yeah. And there's a whole, that's help. Exactly. And so there's that, that's exactly, that's another part of it that I have is videos that go home to parents that really explain this stuff. You know, what does this, this mean? How can you support your teenager through these issues? Because we really do, we need to support it at, you know, the school, the home and the individual level, because it's, it's a, it's a new thing in our culture. It's like, we all have to learn this at the same time if we want to teach it to our kids. Yes. Well, and what's so interesting to me, I'm the parent of my oldest is sort of that preteen age. And it's interesting to me, this shift that starts to happen where they want you to treat your child more in an adult way, not sort of be hovering, but it's an interesting transition as a parent as well. And so I I can see how there's so much important information that needs to happen and sort of that you want to be, the the kids are finally able to sort of have these deeper conversations. And yet it's also the time when they're starting to separate from you. So it's nice to have that support in the school system as well, because they're not always going to feel comfortable at home talking about things they want. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, that's the whole premise of how I've built the program around these peer stories of, of other teenagers sharing their experience and using those sort of documentary films to encourage this kind of learning because that's exactly right. Teenagers get to that age where they don't want to listen to parents. They don't want to listen to teachers. You know, who do they listen to? They listen to, you know, people they see on YouTube. They listen to people they see on social media. So we need to go in through those channels. And so it's finding those peer role models that are speaking about these deep issues and creating that space. And then that's the way in for the parents. It's like, let's talk about this story that we just heard about. What do you think about that? So it's not quite so confronting. And because that, that relationship does really shift and it's a difficult one for parents to kind of navigate. And exactly what you said, the teenagers are pushing you away. So it's, you know, you can't force your way into it. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. What got you sort of into this idea of doing a documentary of interviewing yeah, teenagers who are willing to tell their story, which by the way, is incredibly brave. I mean, I was watching some of these stories and I was like, wow, I don't know that I would have had that courage to say my story when I was a teenager. Oh my gosh. I know the teenagers that I'm finding are unbelievable. It's so inspiring. Um, so yeah, it all started. I was working in private practice and, um, I was feeling like I wanted to do something more and wanted to reach more teenagers. And so I started to write a book and very quickly received feedback. Teenagers are not going to read a book. (laughs) So, um, lots of teenagers told me that they said, do a YouTube channel. And I said, what? And I, I'd never been on camera before. I'd never done anything with film. I'd never recorded anything. Um, but I thought, okay, why not? I'll try it. So I started um, filming some YouTube videos. The first ones were me sharing my story. So that would kind of create the the safety of, you know, if I'm asking other people to do it, I wanted to make sure that I did it first as well. 
That's a really important element of it. And then I just started looking for teenagers and I found just these incredible, incredible teenagers. I was so surprised. They, you know, so I did a little bit of a tour. I was living um, in Australia at the time and did a bit of a tour over to California and New York um, and back up to Canada, my home. And just everywhere I went, there were these teenagers that were so willing to share their story, that were so wise, that were just such role models. And then that's what gave me the idea. I said, well, this need, this is such incredible content. This needs to be in schools. And so that then turned into, you know, the first pilot I did, the feedback I got, they were like, we love this, but <laughs> make it, make it better video quality. So I was yeah. like, okay, we got to you know, because teenagers, I mean, they're used to watching good quality. And at first I was sort of filming it on my iPhone. Right. Um, like it's my first time give me a chance totally totally and that's the whole thing is is making content that they want because mental health is usually coming from adults it's usually coming from a lens of a psychology it's usually not teen friendly Mm. um so really trying to say, well, if we want to reach them with these real skills, it needs to be in their language and in their medium. So that's what we strive to do is just making making it, you know, things that they want to watch that interest them. That's great. No, I love that. And that's what's neat to me. I feel like there's such an opportunity with technology now to use it. There's, I guess there's so many warnings about be careful about being on technology too much and the the harm of social media, but it's mm-hmm. so fun to see how technology and communication technology in general can can help connect people and help people not feel so alone because exactly. I think it has the power to do the opposite as well but it's yeah. cool when it can be used for good definitely and that's why you know I've really shied away from all social media um, my whole life really and it was only when I started this project that I first you know started an Instagram account and started posting things and started this YouTube channel and and it was a really big learning curve for me because I sort of had that whole you know oh it's really terrible and bad and it's all superficial and but really realizing that that's only one side of it and if teens are there and using it you know it's I feel like it's it's our duty to to create content that's that's going to change that because it's you know it's like that classic as adults you know we could, it's easy to just you know resist things that are new and and just sort of paint them all with the same brushstroke but actually to get in there and and make some change there's a there's a real potential for it yeah and what's neat to me too somebody made this point to me um that it used to be that you know sort of influencers or people who are in charge of providing resources basically sat in a conference room and talked about teenagers well now teenagers have <laughs> platforms too to talk to us and so you can get feedback they have yeah power. And so I think it helps get us closer to really what they are needing instead of just kind of sitting back and deciding as the adults. Definitely. And I really, really love that about social media. So it's an equalizer in that way. It's sort of, so you can have conversations with, you know, professionals, with teenagers, with, with everyone, you know, with parents, with teachers, you know, all at the same time, it can be sort of a collective conversation. Yeah. So what, when you're with teenagers and out in schools, what are some of the things that you're hearing that they're really struggling with that they, they feel like their parents don't get or don't understand? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many things these days, I think, you know, the sense of the biggest, I would say single issue that maybe often isn't necessarily conscious for teenagers, but it's, it's the sort of driving force that that's the biggest struggle is a sense that 
they're the only one going through this and they're alone in it and there's something wrong with them for the way that they feel. And, um, you know, then that manifests as, you know, bullying. That's a lot of kids are going through those kinds of things, you know, feeling really quite depressed, feeling really anxious about school and the stress of school and the pressure. And a lot of kids, even young kids now are, are really feeling this pressure of, you know, needing to do well in school so they can get a good job so they can get a good career. Like, it's like they, they have these really adult worries and fears at a very young age because I think they're exposed to that Mm. quite young and then there's a lot of body image as well in in girls and boys um, because again they're exposed to a lot of that and then there's a lot of you know social comparison and feeling like they're not good enough Um, and I guess sort of the things that that every generation has struggled with but it does seem to be a bit heightened because you know they don't have that protective shell of of childhood for so long anymore you know they're they're really in an adult world from quite a young age yeah and what about in terms of i mean you have this gift of being in multiple countries what do you see as are there any sort of unique things happening in the different countries that you're in or do, does it seem pretty similar teen yeah. experiences in different places yeah great question i mean i feel like the thing that has surprised me the most is how similar the experiences are yeah. regarding of where where it is because you know the the things that they struggle with it's about their relationships it's about you know fitting in it's about things going on at home um it's sort of a universal what kids are going through and then you know I guess the cultural context would just would it's almost like a a minor part of it which seems surprising um but that that universal sense of you know, who am I in this world? How do I fit in? You know, am I lovable? Um, you know, are the things that happen to me my fault? You know, these are these are the things that every teenager around the globe is facing. And that's one of the big things I'm trying to to help also convey with these stories from around the globe so that they can know that, you know, people that are on the other side of the world are just like them, yeah. you know, and they're all in this together. Right. No, I love that. I love the connection that you're forming through this channel. It's just, it's really, I, I love that I've been able to sort of, I guess, notice it for myself. Cause I was one of those people that was like, social media is bad. And then everybody's comparing each other and it's just bad for us, you know? And I, I was just kind of a boo-hoo, like a yeah. humbug kind of thing. But um, it is, it is fun for me to see people using it in a positive way. Um, and it's interesting. I, I was talking to a woman who lives in Canada about racism and she was saying she doesn't see it as much in Canada as she does in the United States. That's why I was thinking maybe there's some different, and that's her own experience. I'm not saying Canada doesn't have racism, Um, but it's just interesting for me to hear, you know, just different perspectives about sort of things we take for granted in our country. Like clearly we have a racism situation in America. Absolutely. And I would say, I, I would say that I see racism everywhere, actually, mm. unfortunately. Um, but potentially, there is a difference as well. I almost think, you know, I mean, different parts of different countries feel like there's more of a difference than within, you know, countrywide, you know, I feel like sometimes, um, you know, big cities can have bigger issues around that because there's more people are more segregated. Um, and there's more, and another thing that is definitely unique to the U S right now is the school violence. So that's a, you know, there's this heightened level of fear around, 
the things that are happening when kids are getting bullied and, you know, the, obviously the gun violence and things like that. So that is definitely unique, but I would say, you know, any country you go into, there's going to be pockets of places where people are really unified and people are really connected. And I would say often that's in smaller communities, whether that's a, you know, smaller community within a big city or, you know, smaller towns that kind of have that, that forward thinking or, you know, are quite connected. And then there's going to be places that are really divided and really um, lots of prejudice and, and unfortunately a lot of that going on. So I'd say that's kind of a global issue. It's just a, it's a special perspective you have to be moving around like you do. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, so this is just interesting to me. What do students say outside of the United States about these school shootings? Do they talk about it or is it kind of off their radar because it's not in their experience? Yeah, I mean, mostly they're not talking about it that much. And okay. I think that there's there's not a lot of, I mean, interesting, there's a lot of press around politics in the U.S. globally, but there isn't as much focus on the school shootings, which is very interesting. So I hear a lot of young people all over the world talking about, you know, U.S. politics, which is very interesting and fascinating. Not good press these days. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, But not a lot of them. And I think it seems a bit surreal to them. Like, I think it seems a bit like a movie, like they can't quite grasp their head around it, which is great. They shouldn't have to grasp their heads around that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's not really something that they're thinking about that I see anyways, that they, that they bring up. And then what about within the United States with the students you talk with? Is that something that comes up with them or is that just sort of the backdrop of their lives that they're sort of used to at this point? I know. And interestingly, they, people haven't brought it up that much. So it's, it's not, I think it's one of those things where, you know, teenagers, you know, they're going through so much, you know, there's so many changes. There's so many things going on in their personal world. Their brain is in the middle of changing. So I think unless something touches them really personally, it it doesn't necessarily have as much of an impact, which I think is a very normal part of adolescence. You know, it's it's the world they live in. So the, the kids that have been touched by this or know who someone has been touched by this or the kids that are seeking this out and are, you know, wanting to become activists, I think it's they're really aware of this. But a lot of teenagers, um, there's so many things going on that I think they're they're really having to deal with their own transition. And so that's more the focus usually of what's happening is, you know, things that have happened to them or things that they've witnessed or things that are in their, their own world. Yeah. So when, because you're talking to all these kids and I'm guessing you've gotten better at it over time, just having them feel comfortable with you, what advice would you give to teachers, parents, around strategies to help kids feel more comfortable talking to you? Yeah, brilliant. Great question. So I would say the most important thing is don't be scared of their emotions. Mm. And it sounds simple, but it's actually quite difficult because when there's a teenager in front of you, especially if it's your own child, um, but you know, and if you have a relationship with them and they become upset or distressed, it's really overwhelming and confronting. And so the first reaction is kind of, you want to make it go away or you want to make it better. And so the biggest thing that helps with teenagers is just having someone witness their pain and help them know it's okay. So it's the empathy. So it's really, you know, when a teenager is struggling or they're talking about something, just acknowledging that you see their feeling, that you understand that it's okay, that they're normal to feel this way. And really 
tend towards just listening and hearing it and empathizing. And that's usually all they need. So it's like we, you know, it's easy to jump into fixing and um, that kind of approach. And especially as parents, of course, like you never want to see your, your child suffer, but really all they need is to be heard. And usually if you can just sit with their pain and allow them to process it and reaffirm them and, you know, give them those messages of, you know, you're, you know, there's an opportunity for growth here and you're doing such a wonderful job and just really affirm them and let them know that you're there usually they move through it all on their own. Yeah. Well, and what, as I'm listening to this, it takes it a a healthy adult to do that. And so I guess, what advice do you give to adults to make sure they have their own sort of baggage in check to make sure that if they're working with teenagers or working with people they're trying to help, that they're not bringing their own stuff into it? Yeah, brilliant. And so I would say, you know, we all have our baggage and that's, you know, we can't help that. That's that's part of being human. And so just to know and to get your own support with it. So I would, I mean, I'm biased because, you know, I'm in the world of psychology, but I feel like everyone can benefit from even just a few sessions with a therapist to just unpack some of these things or with a friend or with anyone to just, or even on their own reflections of just noticing, you know, what is my pattern or even some mindfulness or anything like that of how can I know what's going on in my own mind? So I know what's my reaction and what's their reaction. And usually, you know, unless we stop and pay attention to it, those things become so convoluted because it happens so quick. You know, a feeling comes up in someone else, a feeling comes up in us and we immediately react. And so I think the biggest thing as parents and teachers and people working with young people is to not feel ashamed of that and to know that that is completely normal. Like we all, we're all crazy. You know, we all have our patterns. We all have stuff going on, but to to just be gentle with yourself and to, to notice when it's happening and just take a step back and just to start taking small steps towards change. That's all it takes is just noticing, oh, okay, wow, I I really reacted there. I really went into fix-it mode there. Okay, let me just take a breath. Let me see if I can do that differently next time. Maybe I can bring that up. I mean, bringing things up with teenagers later and, and just apologizing, saying, hey, you know, I think I handled that not so well. It's so helpful. It's incredibly helpful. Not as only is it a great role modeling, but it's also um, can be really reparative. So anything that you do can be undone with you know a, a well thought out um, connection. You know to reconnect and to go. Okay, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. I really care about you. Let's try that again. Right. You know to just just to take the shame out of it from from the adult's perspective too, because it is. It's really confronting when we start looking at all the things we're doing, and that's why you know often we don't want to look at it, but I would just encourage, look at it and be okay to, to go there and to know that you're not alone in that. We're, we're all, we're all in that together. Yes. Well, and it's so interesting because I listened to you talking about empathy and just letting them tell their story. And mm-hmm. it sounds so not easy, but it sounds like, Oh, of course. And I was just thinking of a conversation I had with my, one of my kids today and he's mm-hmm. like, this is why I don't tell you anything. Cause I went right to, well, you did it over text. You didn't say it to the person in front of their face. And it's like, I'm not um, listening to the story. I'm going to like the yeah. fix it for the long term. Yeah. Like, oh, we have a lesson here that hard conversations right. should be in person and not over text. And, you know, and Absolutely. that's not going to make someone want to talk to me, you know? Yes. And he made that very clear. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's the beautiful thing about teenagers is they will tell you. 
Um, and, and it is, it's so much more challenging when it's your own child. It really is. And so that's an important thing is just to, you know, for every parent not to beat themselves up that, you know, there's so many habitual patterns and, and you've, you know, as well, this transition into adolescence, like your job has been to protect them and keep them safe and teach them everything. You know, that's been, you know, it's been ingrained into you for their whole lives. And then all of a sudden this moment happens and you're supposed to be able to just sort of back off and <laughs> let them figure things out on their own. And so it's a big transition, but just to remember that, you know, they, the, the most important thing I would say to remember is that their feelings don't need to be fixed. You know, there's nothing wrong with them feeling sad or ashamed or, or scared or anything that, that, that doesn't need to be changed. It just needs to be seen. I need to continue to hear that because yes. it's, it's one of those things that's easily forgotten. Absolutely. Now we just go into fix it mode. Absolutely. And so I would say the other, the way to really learn that is to start with ourselves. So if we can, because that's, again, that's something that none of us learned because this is a new cultural awareness that we have. And so we, none of us learn to sit with our own emotions. So we go in to fix it with ourselves, which is why we're inclined to do that with, with kids. So to give yourself the space and to really know how valuable and important that is to when, when you're feeling sad and ashamed and scared to allow that to be there and to not try to fix it in ourselves. And that is an even bigger challenge. But when we can do that and practice that, it comes really naturally when we're working with kids. Perfect. I love that. So how, if somebody wanted to have this in their school, what would be a way for them to find out more about it or to get more resources for their schools? Yeah, absolutely. So they can go to the website. Um, so my website is openparachuteschools.com um, or they can contact me directly um, on social media at Dr. Haley Watson um, or email, you know, any, any way that you can connect to me. And I'm very happy to share everything that I possibly can. Um, got, we've also got, um, well-being teacher training, um, program an online version of it as well as in person. Um, so it's really focusing on the teacher well-being and I'm going to be coming out with parent versions of that too. So really just anything that people are interested in, feel free to reach out and cause I'm continually creating new, new versions, new content, new angles. I love it. It's, it's exciting to see that this is taking like a foothold, I guess, that, that it seems like there is something in motion where the tides are changing. And sadly, I mean, it seems like sometimes bad things have had to happen for people to realize, oh, we need to do better. But yeah. at least there's a realization that we need to do better. And we can, we have these resources, let's use them. I know. That's it. And that's the exciting bit. There's so much wisdom in the world now. It's just a matter of, of getting it, you know, into the right channels. That's right. And really teaching all kids, you know, in the same way that we're teaching them math skills and English skills, like teaching them mental health skills, because we all need it. Yeah. If, if the mental health skills aren't there, the math and the reading doesn't really. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What? Yeah. So I have two last questions for you. One, what would you tell your teenage self? If you, if your teenage self would listen to you, what would you tell your teenage self? Or even if they wouldn't listen, what, what message would you want to take back to her? I would tell her that everything's going to be okay, number one. And number two, I love you. Those would be the two things. Because that's, those are the things that I felt, you know, things are not going to be okay. And I'm unlovable. Yeah. You know, so those, are, those are the two messages that I think that I would have really needed to hear. 
That's beautiful. I love that. The first time I asked that of someone, they said, well, my teenage self wouldn't have listened to me. So I I make sure I put that caveat that like, we know she's not going to listen, but yes, absolutely. What about in terms of your own self-care, what do you do to take care of yourself that while you're helping all of these people and putting these good messages out in the world, what do you do to make sure that you're taking good care of yourself? Yes. Brilliant. So, um, I focus on it a lot actually, um, because it's, you know, such a part of my world. I have, I mean, I exercise regular, which I find, oh, well, I've gone through phases with that actually, you know, I rest when I need to, and I exercise when I need to, um, I meditate regularly. I eat really well. I try to get enough sleep. You know, my, my whole world is around kind of just making sure that I'm in the right space to do this. I have my own coaching and therapy sessions that I have regularly. Um, and I really just monitor my energy levels and I monitor, you know, what I'm doing. And I, I've really gotten good at saying no to things. (laughs) I really, you know, my, because I'm on this, this mission and this purpose, it's like everything that this is sort of like this overarching goal in my life where if, if anything is happening in my life that is not serving this big purpose of what I'm trying to do in the world, I just cut it. So I'm, I'm just really, you know, a lot of my friends get really annoyed with me because I'm very unavailable. Um, but that's just, that's just the only way. You just have to learn how to present it. They can Absolutely. say, we have a party. It's, we're going to talk a lot about teen mental health. And that, <laughs> that needs to be part of the invitation. <laughs> totally. That's exactly right. That's how to get me to attend. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so thankful that your mission fell in line with, with mm. me asking you to come on the podcast because this has been yes. such a lovely conversation and I'll continue to watch all the things you're doing out there in the world. I'm excited and I'm excited there's people like you out there doing the work. Well, thank you so much. And thank you as well. I mean, this is such a great thing to be able to offer people. So keep doing what you're doing too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you enjoyed the episode and you have a friend you think might enjoy it, hit the share button and pass it to a friend. And if you would be so helpful, I would love it if you would leave a review or leave a rating on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. You can find out more about The Family Brain from thefamilybrainpodcast.com, at Family Brain Podcast on Instagram, and we have a Facebook group called The Family Brain. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.